John chapter 21, verse number 2 and 3. Amen. John chapter 21. Verses 2 and 3. But it lets you know how dirty you are. 
activities were no different. It's just different that something showed you. So the point is that on our best day, listen, you can't live good enough to receive righteousness. Righteousness is a gift. You understand what I'm saying? We don't live right to be righteous. We live right because we are righteous. There's a difference. You're trying to earn what he's already given. So now as a part of him changing me and making me into a new creature. My mind changes. Your heart changes. And now your actions line up with what your heart says. And now you begin to move away from this used to do. Amen. Somebody say mercies. Mercies. Amen. John chapter 21. I'll have seen it. I'm sure. John chapter 21, verse 2 and 3. If you have it, say, mm-hmm. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. And Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Last Sunday, uh, thank you, ushers. <laughs> T. Bob looking like, is he going? I called it T. Bob. Me just getting. Amen. Last Sunday, we talked about. Life after death. Uh, the fact that there are some things that uh, we consider dead that God can restore back to life. Amen. We celebrated the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And for some reason, for many of us, uh, it's painted as a pretty picture of what uh, followed the resurrection. But I want to talk about this morning from the topic, the aftermath. The aftermath. I took my baby girl to a New Orleans Pelicans game a few months back. And we had a wonderful, wonderful time. And, uh, she was excited, man, to go see uh, Lee Brown. And man, we talked all the way down there and had a good time. 
went to my most favoriteest restaurant in the world, Neo's, ate good. Left Neo's and headed to the Superdome for Smoothie King Arena. We got there and got to our seats, y'all, and everything was good. Players started coming out and warming up, and I could see her just excited, bubbling over, and just giddy. She didn't care about seeing nobody else but LeBron. And so the game almost ready to begin, and she says to me, she says, Dad, who you going for? And I said, well, baby, I'm from Louisiana. I'm a boot boy. I like LeBron, but I'm cheering for New Orleans. She said, well, I ain't from here. So I'm going for LeBron. I said, that's fine. So we watched the game and enjoyed the game. And toward the end of the game, the Pelicans were winning. And she kind of had a sad countenance. Of course, I'm over there like I told you. It's just how we get down in Louisiana. So she's kind of sad because her man's losing. She says to me, she said, well, at least LeBron had a good game. I said, yeah, it was a good game. But he's going to take this L back to Cleveland. And so the game neared its end. And she said, I sure wish I could meet him. And so I picked up the phone and I called a friend of mine to see if we could possibly get to the back to meet him. And of course, while waiting on his response, the game ends and everybody starts clearing out. And everybody's leaving the arena. And so as they're leaving the arena, she looks around and says, I'm so glad I ain't got to clean up this mess. The aftermath. We celebrated, had a good time, enjoyed the game, cheered our favorite players on, and now somebody got to clean up the mess. So I started watching as they were cleaning up the arena. And I'm watching them work a system. And I'm watching how they communicate with each other. They're on the same row, and they'll look up at each other and whoop, make a little hand gesture and move to the next row. And so by the time we got ready to leave the arena, which was only the span of about 15 to 20 minutes, they were finished. And I was just as much in awe of the cleanup as I was the game. See, everybody comes for the game. But don't nobody want to deal with the aftermath. Everybody's there for the cheering. The rah-rah. Yes. Sanctified. Holy Ghost filled. Tongue talking and oil slanging. Who wants to clean up the mess? That was probably 30,000 people at that game. 
and only about a hundred left to do the dirty work. Thirty thousand people celebrating, cheering, yelling, screaming, fellowshipping. Leave their trash on the floor. Because they know somebody finna clean it up. Say the aftermath. What I found is very few people. Very few people like to deal with the aftermath. Everybody want to come to church. Can't find nobody to clean it. It be your trash. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, it's a dirty job. Cleaning up somebody else's mess is a dirty job. Fixing what other people have messed up is a dirty job. But I want to submit to you, I talked for 15 years, and my best friends in the schools were not other teachers. The people that I went out of my way to appreciate were the custodians. I can remember teachers complaining about their classrooms not being clean. I never had that complaint. Have you ever spoke to your consultant? Do you ever take time to tell them thank you? See, you take for granted the opportunity to just walk in and thinking that your classroom has to be clean until you show up and it's dirty. You don't appreciate the people who clean up the aftermath until you have to dwell in the aftermath. You can appreciate mess. And I remember I was about 15, had a job at McDonald's. One night, manager came in the kitchen. I cook hamburgers and said to me, I need you to go out there and clean that bathroom. Uh, not in my job description, sir. It's not what I do. I make quarter pounders. Double quarter pounders, Big Macs, sausage biscuits. To the bathroom and I see why. He didn't want to clean it up. Usually it was his job. But now he needs somebody to do his And so if I want to keep my job, somebody got to do it. And the assignment fell on me. As a matter of fact, let me go out on a limb and say this. The Lord will give his most messiest jobs to his most faithful soldiers. Some of y'all ain't going to catch that to you almost at the house. And he'll give his worst condition, situation, what look the worst. Why? Because he don't need somebody to go in there and half clean it up. Yeah, because see, if you, you ever heard that story? My mama, know about your mama. 
You half wash them dishes if you want to. It don't matter if she saw one speck on one fork. She gonna take all the dishes. Then this is what she started doing. I love the devil. Then what she do? She go to the cabinet. Since you done half washed them forks. Wash all of them over because I want to make sure. See what happens is if you half wash a spoon, then you sure didn't wash that plate. So God needs people who are, are, are interested in details. Because what will happen is if you don't clean it up all the way, he'll have to send by somebody else here. To do the dirty work. So if you're going to be in ministry and you're going to do it, it's going to take you understanding that somebody got to do it. Everybody can't pass the 40,000 people. Somebody got to be humble enough to say, give me 50. That's right. Let me deal with that. In 2012, Superstorm Sandy ravaged the East Coast. Taking over 70 lives, costing over $170 billion, causing damages all and up through New Jersey and New York. And everybody was praying for those areas. And six years later, we've forgotten about Sandy, but guess what? They're still dealing with. 2017 was one of the deadliest years for storms in history, costing us over $300 billion to clean up the aftermath. The storms come and left a mess. Marie. change their profile pictures back now. But they're down there still dealing with the aftermath. They're closing schools. Some places still don't have electricity. But everybody else has gone back to their regular routine. Harvey came and tore Houston up. Hashtags are stopped and there's no more trending, no more fundraisers, and those people have not completely put their lives back together. Some of them are still dealing with the aftermath. Everybody was there in the beginning. But what do you do when people start walking away? Everybody talks about the storm. You can get through the storm. Speak to your storm. Come on now. Hold on to your storm. God is able to keep you in the midst of the storm and speak to the winds and speak to the waters and make them behave. Tell us all of those things about persevering through the storm and keeping your way and holding your head up and keeping your faith and don't you waver. Be steadfast and unmovable. They tell us all of that stuff. But what about the damage that the storm did? Come on now. But what about the 
what about this mess I got? The truth of the matter is, some stuff can leave you. You done got through the tragedy. What you have in hell dealing with I was all right until all this stuff started coming as a result of the storm. How, Pastor, do I deal with the aftermath? The Bible says, I, I got to paint this picture for you. Jesus was crucified. And we, for some reason, think that it's a pretty picture. That there's no problems that, oh yeah, glory, he's been crucified, he got up, everything is wonderful. But I want to give you a different picture and show you how, I have to be careful how I say this because I need you to understand, Jesus left a mess. He left who then is going to have to deal with the aftermath yeah see you thought that the disciples just went home and was chilling and drinking Kool-Aid and uh, eating snack no no they're running for their lives because the same people that crucified him now looking for them because they want to crush any kind of a revolt since you was walking with him when we gonna get y'all too. Yeah, because you associated with him, we gonna kill you, and you, we want you to understand that he was an example of what we're gonna do to you. And so they're running for their lives. You'll notice that there was only seven of them. We don't know where the other ones were, but there's only seven of them at that time. We don't know where they go, but Peter says, "I don't know what y'all." to do, but I'm going to fish. I'm tired of dealing with this mess. Got folk looking for me. Folk trying to kill me. They talking about us. We can't show our face. We all lost all our friends. I, I, I just want to go fishing. You ever been in a place where you just wanted to get away from it? Peter finds himself in a mess. Because he decided to follow a man. Yeah, see, you thought when you followed him that everything was going to be worked out. But sometimes you'll find yourself, even after you follow him, that some stuff, this is a... Yeah, but thank God that he'll turn your mess into your message. So Peter then finds himself in a mess. Brother Mike, he got a mess on his hands. Number one. The Bible says that he had left some stuff. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus called him away from the fishing boat. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yes. His livelihood, he called him away from it. But now, Peter says, well, I'm going to fish. All of this drama that we're dealing with, all of this stuff as a result of our decision to follow Jesus, this stuff is walk close with him. When he was healing folk, yeah, yeah, yeah. walked with him while he was preaching in the synagogues, stood beside him when he challenged the Pharisees and the Pharisees and Sadducees. But now that it's trouble and it's the aftermath, I'm going fishing. Stood with him. 
Jesus needs somebody to clean up. <laughs> Looking for some people that are clean up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Peter said, find me at the fishing hole. Peter says, listen, y'all, I know Jesus done showed himself to us twice. But we got to eat. <laughs> Ain't nothing shaking around here, so we got to go fishing. Jesus didn't hold their hand and walk them through what they were going through. He gave a word to him and told him it's going to be all right. Matter of fact, he told him in Matthew, he said, I need you to go into all the world. Teach them the same things that I taught you to observe. Make them my disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and I'm going to be with you. And here they are just chilling, ain't got nothing going on. And because they done got bored, let's go fishing. The problem that I have is that you cannot go backwards. That's right. That's right. It's about to preach. That's right. I cannot go backwards. He can't go back to the thing that he was delivered from. How can you go back, Peter, to what God called you out of? Many of us. Go back to stuff. Because it was good to us. If it wasn't good, you wouldn't. You know why Dio is my favorite? Because he old good. Anytime I'm within 60 miles of New Orleans, I'm going. So watch this though. He called him away from it, delivered him from it. But he says, that's what I'm going back to. Because whenever things get tough, it's easy to go back to what's comfortable. Anytime things get tough, anytime things get challenging, it's easy to go back to what I used to do. Okay. Okay. You say when things get rough, I need a cigarette to calm my nerves. Okay, you don't smoke. How many times you? Whoa, I had a rough day. I just need a drink. Give me a glass of, I'm just going to sit here and sip this wine and just kind of relax my mind. Take your mind off. That's going back. How about instead of going back, we go forward? Instead of going back to what used to bring me comfort when my nerves used to get bad, when I used to get irritated, how about not going back to what you used to do? But finding comfort because if you need a, 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 an answer, you need a solution, you need something to bring you peace. How about praying? Yeah. 
finds himself going back. The problem with this is Peter takes with him six people. His influence was so great that he said, I'm going fishing. And they said, we coming too. The problem is all of them were fishers. The sons of Zebedee were with their father when he found them. But the mother was like, what y'all know about fishing? Looking for comfort to avoid the cleanup of the aftermath. Yeah, there's a lot of people that run from their calling and they find it in doing something that they used to do because they were comfortable doing that. Some people are afraid to step out and become what God wants them to be because they were comfortable in what they already are. I know I can do this, but when you start stepping out and God challenges you, do, challenges you to do something different, you're uncomfortable, so it's easier when it gets tough to go back to what you know. Shake your name and tell them don't go back. Peter says, I'm going fishing. He's caught in a place called In-Between. A lot of us get caught in this place called In-Between. He was between Passover and Pentecost. The Passover was what they were celebrating when they were eating with Jesus. The Bible says that the Passover was celebrated because of the children of Israel marking the doorposts when they were coming out of Egypt and the death angel passed over their houses. They were celebrating the Passover, but the Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, had not yet taken place. He's caught in between. God made a promise of the Holy Ghost. We were just celebrating the Passover, but what do I do when I'm in the middle of them too? I'm in the middle of what he's already done and what he promised me. What am I going to do? He's already brought us out of Egypt and he's promised the Holy Ghost, but I'm stuck right here. What am I going to do? What happens in the in-between time is God seems like he's idle. I'm helping somebody who prays and don't seem like you're getting answers. That's right. That's right. Who reads and just can't seem to get understanding. Who goes to church but seems to leave unfulfilled. That's seeking God, but it seems like he's running from you. He's hiding from you. It seems like, like what, what are you doing? It seems like he's doing nothing. The problem with thinking that God is idle is that you become idle. A lot of people have quit on God in the in-between because they fainted because they couldn't see what he was going to do. I quit before I got to the finish line because I couldn't quite see what God was trying to do. And so I quit because it was taking him too long. And so Peter says, I know he told us that he was going to pour out his spirit, but he's taking too long. I'm going What do you do in the meantime? How do you get through those tough times when it seems like God ain't listening? Seems like he could care less about what your interests are. Seems like he just won't answer. Seems like, God, you know what I'm going through. You know the mess that I'm in. You know the situation. 
What are you waiting on to manifest? What are you waiting on to show up? Do you know I have a question? I got a lot of questions. <laughs> you ever wonder why if your plan, God, was to send Jesus know-how, why not just send him in Genesis chapter 4? All right. All right. Adam messed up in Genesis chapter 3. Why not send Jesus in chapter 4? Wouldn't that just be? 4,000 years passed. Did you know that? 4,000 years between Adam and Jesus. 4,000 years. And God says the time was right. Galatians says in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. So God says, I can't show up. I'm not waiting on God to show up when I want him to show up. And God said, it ain't time yet. You got to get something out of the in-between. Look at somebody tell me you got to get something out of it. Some of y'all right now in the in-between stage and you ain't getting nothing out of the in-between because all you want is to get out. You can't get no growth out of what you're going through because you hate what you're going through and can't get nothing out of what you're going through. I remember telling my players, look, if you hate conditioning, you'll never get in shape. If you fall in love with the process, it'll make the process more fun. You'll get to enjoy the outcome greater when you learn to celebrate the process. But because you can't enjoy the process, you don't even know you done got in shape. I would wait until about the day, two or three days before practice or the real game. And I would say, do y'all notice y'all ain't complaining no more? Have you noticed that you done stopped all that crying and belly aching, that you stopped all that because now all of a sudden you're in shape? You didn't even know you could handle it, but I was pushing you harder for this moment right here. I was pushing you for this moment right here, and here it is that the game has approached, and you didn't even realize that what I was putting you through was getting you ready for this thing. Somebody say the process. Until you fall in love with the in-between, you're going to be just like Peter, going fishing. Going back to what you used to do. Setting yourself back when you should be moving forward. Watch what the Bible says. The Bible says he took with him six of his friends, right? They're in the in-between. Now, you've got to understand how this thing looks. See, I want you to get the holistic picture of what Peter is dealing with. Peter was a married man. Jesus healed his mother-in-law. In order to have a mother-in-law, you got to have but for the last three and a half years, you've been following Jesus. I told somebody Thursday night that you got to be careful who you connect with when you have an assignment for the Lord. That's 
Because the people that you're connected with can help you abort your assignment if they don't understand the anointing that's on your life. You got to be careful. When you know there's an assignment and an anointing, you got to be careful who you link up with. Because Peter's wife could have killed everything that was in Peter had she been tripping about him following Jesus for the last three years. Peter has to deal with his wife. Remember my uncles years ago, I talked to the married man. My uncle told me sitting outside his shop one Sunday, he said, uh, he said, look at look him, nephew. Uh, this is my third wife. <laughs> X that part out. This is my third wife, and I ain't quite figured it out yet. He said, but I'm gonna tell you one thing I do know. He said, my old man used to tell me all the time, uh, a happy wife, make a happy life. Make that woman happy, you can have it. And I can remember being young and dumb, about 17, I said, man, shoot, no, daddy got to be happy. <laughs> daddy, I'm a, I'm a mean lineman, I ain't happy. I said, daddy got to be happy. Well, fast forward a little bit. <laughs> and I found the words to say amen. Like somebody looking, just say amen. <laughs> Just 